Hello, this is Gerd Leonhardt, futurist, author of Technology versus Humanity in Zurich, Switzerland, uh, doing another podcast with Peter Van, our content curator, who's helping to reshape some of the ideas that I set forth in my book and just a few years ago, Technology versus Humanity, but still very much uh, timely. Uh, this time, Chapter 3. Can you – hello, Peter. <laughs> hello, Gary. Good morning. <laughs> hey, Peter. Can, can you give us a brief overview of what Chapter 3 is actually all about? Uh, chapter 3 is about what you have called the mega shifts. And you have identified uh, a number of mega shifts. I'm going to quickly go over them, and then we'll dive into a couple of them. Mm-hmm. So the, the mega shifts that you have identified are digitization, mobilization, screenification, disintermediation, transformation, intelligization, automation, virtualization, anticipation, and robotization. Mm-hmm. And the like, first... Can, can I jump in there for a second? Uh, it's uh, important to realize first... Um, We've changed some of the mega shifts in my work subsequently. Uh, and for example, screenification has moved out and we are, we're now calling this uh, intelligization, we call it cognification. Cognification. Uh, yeah. And you can find all that stuff. It's actually now chapter three is public on the web because there was so much demand on people finding out about the mega shifts. So we have now a separate website, megashifts.digital. Uh, uh, and we also have one called megashifts.com, which is a blog. But anyway, if you want to download the whole thing, it's megashift.digital, and there you see all the megashifts laid out just as an update from the book, you know, which has, uh, uh, you know, mutated quite a bit. So, yeah. All right. So the first one is uh, digitization. Um, can you say just some, some of the highlights of what this uh, megashift is about? Yeah. First, a small anecdote. You know, we um, the work that I started on this was roughly five or six years ago. After I talked about data as the new oil and that and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, and we jokingly used to call those the Asians because you know they all end on Asian, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, and that was actually a good term that kind of stuck with people. And then I started compiling all the Asians that were floating around, and the work. I did on this came out of this realization that many clients come to me and say, okay, what is digital transformation? We want to transform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it, it, it dawned on me that this is not just about digitization or digital digitalization as Germans say, um, but it's about everything that's caused by going digital. So when things go digital, we can automate right? mm-hmm. because we have the data when we can automate then we can also make it smart, which is cognification, right? So that we can actually connect stuff and computers can start to sort of think, in parentheses, uh, along with what we want. And we don't have to program computers anymore, which is machine learning, deep learning. You know, they're kind of learning in in a new way. And then if we do that, then we can virtualize, which is virtualization. Mm -hmm. And so uh, basically things can move in the cloud that used to be on Earth, so to speak, or physical, like digital music right? yeah. uh, that's now in the cloud or movies which are in the cloud or even transportation which is in the cloud so that that's virtualization and then if we can virtualize then we can make a robot do it that's mm-hmm. called robotization mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the robot can finally be instructed by the cloud to do xyz so baxter you know the most popular uh, uh, robot for small factories and stuff mm-hmm. it used to be two hundred thousand k now it's twelve thousand five hundred. wow uh, and, and it can actually 
learn from a human because the human information has gone in the cloud. The cloud has become smart. The robot gets smart because it's connected to the cloud. And, and of course, physically speaking, it can and actually do the work now, which is quite different as well. So they all hang together and it all starts with datafication, which means to generate data where there wasn't any before. Mm-hmm. So that's, for example, human resource analytics. You know, that's gathering data for later use in some mostly nefarious ways. <laughs> but still, you know, that's, that's a good example. Or datafication of music. You know, we didn't have the data of who was listening in Cup Werder, you know, to what music. And now we do. You know, it's been datafied. Uh, and that's both good and bad, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. In, in this first part of this chapter, you make a comparison or at least a critique on what most people are used to work with, like KPIs, uh, um, performance indicators. Mm-hmm. And you were suggesting um, key human indicators. Well, can you expand a bit on that? Yeah, I think the... Um the philosophy of work in companies has been largely based on some sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, implementation of being functional and efficient and optimized. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's machine thinking in my view. Mm-hmm. And that worked fine as long as the machines are stupid, uh, because then we have to be the machines and, and do all the monkey work, so to speak, and just be better machines. Right? Uh, and that has been the philosophy of a lot of corporate work, you know, that we are better machines. Uh, unfortunately, now your machines are finally getting it, <laughs> and they're no longer that stupid. And in ten years, they'll be pretty damn smart. In twenty years, they'll be beyond smart in the human sense. Mm-hmm. So better machines won't cut it, right? and that's why we don't need KPIs in the sense of you know our performance index. That's like measuring how many coke lids the machine can press on in half an hour you know mm-hmm. uh so we need human indexes which means value trust relationships thinking innovation entrepreneurship imagination mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's you know i've uh, i've kind of dropped the ball a little bit on this and talking too much about it but i think that's kind of what jack ma calls you know the eq and the iq right? mm-hmm. uh the emotional quotient versus the IQ. And so, you know, being a better machine is just not a good future for us because it worked fine when the machines were as dumb as they were. Yeah, but on the other hand, do you think that machines are going to develop EQ? I think the good thing about machines is that they will, of course, attempt to understand our EQ. Um, You know, attempt in the sense of learning what we mean. Uh, The big difference is that machines will, I think, be able to simulate EQ because they've learned so much about how we do it. Mm-hmm. So they will, they will watch us. They will say, okay, oh, that's imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they will be able to fake it. Yeah. So it, 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 it's, um, it's almost like us humans today, and which is one of the other Asians, mm-hmm. like we humans now with our smartphones, we are taking photographs and recording everything around us and putting in everything in the cloud. And you, you raised the question in your book, does that make us look 
and feel more like machines or more like humans. So it's like, on the one hand, we are recording, but on the other hand, the machines are also recording and simulating and faking our behavior. I think we need to be very good at understanding the difference between a simulation uh, and a copy than the original. You know, I think we quoted this last time, you know, Nick Cave said about computers making music. You know? Yeah, they can make music, but they can't make great music because they don't have the nerve. So we can have a machine that is human on, in the sense of human function, right? simulating functions of humanity. But we have to understand that this is still not the same. That's like saying, okay, you can, uh, you know, you can call fast food food, or if you like food, then you know what the difference is, right? Uh, it's kind of like... I think ultimately we have to we have to be able to to understand the difference between the simulation and the and, and the reality, and we have to maintain that also in some way. Yeah. So the, the question is, is really is what is real and what is not. And you used in your book a quote from Dave Eggers' book The Circle, which in in essence is saying that we are becoming utterly socially autistic. That's what you put. So and if I think about if I try to, to, to mix that, to uh, relate that to Kevin Kelly's latest uh, post on Mirror World, mm-hmm. it's like there is an alternative second mirror reality and we are getting really confused about what's now real, the person in front of the mirror or the picture of the person in the mirror. Yes, I think this is, of course, one of the ongoing challenges of technology. Huh? It's that we confuse the realities and that we may prefer this other more simplified reality. Uh, and I think this is part of the social contract and the discussion about valuing the reality versus the, versus the simulation. <laughs> you know? and, and also and maintaining the difference. You know, I think it's very important for us that we maintain the difference between humans and machine that we, and we say, okay, it's very useful, but you know, it, it is really just a snapshot of reality. And can a computer make you feel welcome and stuff? Yeah, it can do all those things. But uh, I mean, compared to a real human, it's still just a zero point five percent snapshot. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and it has its use. It's not a bad thing. It's just as long as we don't start saying, "No, that's so much better and much more convenient." Let's just scrap reality and 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 take this for real. You know? mm-hmm. That's kind of like TripAdvisor. You you can stand in front of the restaurant. You can look up TripAdvisor. Supervisor says, oh, it's the best place, period, and so on and so on. But you look inside and there's nobody there, and whoever is there looks very dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, and then you look right next door and the place is full, and the supervisor doesn't even list it. Yeah. You know, okay, then, then that's, that's, how, that's machine smartness. Yeah? Yeah. That, that's uh, that's kind of like, okay, it could be well the other way around. It could be completely accurate, but you don't know which one is which. Yeah, uh, and, and this and is where women's come in. Yeah. And TripAdvisor is uh, operating here as a sort of a platform, a so-called platform for disruption. And you spend quite some time in this chapter on articulating disruption, and it's great and it's needed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you also suggest that we need construction. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, I think the obsession with Silicon Valley and now China, of course, is to disrupt things fast, like Facebook mantra used to be, uh, you know, move fast and break things, right? Used to be. Yeah, used to be. And now it's like it has moved 
too fast and it has been broken. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you can appreciate that mantra when it's like 10 years ago because there was so much that wasn't working. But, but today, technology has to allow us to build new logic, a new ecosystem, something that actually hangs together, something that makes sense, not just makes a difference. So when it's Airbnb and, and, and Dropbox and Uber and so on, we have to ask the question, how will this work to satisfy almost every angle in this new business? So what's the social implication? Do they have to pay taxes? Uh, do they have to make up for the rise of rents? Uh, should they build their own houses? You know, whatever the deal is, right? So it's about construction, not just disruption. I think this area of saying that you're going to just disrupt and then after you have disrupted stuff, you move on to the next disruption. Yeah, you know? so it's almost like, or in addition, it's um, it's not only extraction, it's if there would be an opposite of the word extraction, it's also giving value back um, to the community, the society that you operate in. Yeah, I think a lot of disruption is really feudalism mm-hmm. because what it does, it, it says, okay, we're going to disrupt this, how this works, let's say banking, right? And then we're going to put this in place. And once we have it in place, everybody will love it. And then we're going to own the place and we can do whatever the hell we want, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> That's the Facebook problem, right? They have disrupted how this all works and now they are it. Mm-hmm. And now they are the ones that need to be disrupted because they've become a cartel. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's really what happens when you disrupt stuff like Uber. Uh, you know, you also have to take into account what the social implications, you know, the externalities of your business model are. And then you have to address those as, as well. You can't just do one thing and then, you know, now Uber is going to go and, and, and disrupt the, uh, the truck in trucking industry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's responsibility that comes with building stuff that lasts, yeah, you 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 mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, transportation. You mentioned banking. In your your books, you said that one of the biggest uh, areas for change will be in health and energy. Is that still the case? And or why do you pick those two industries? Yeah, I think we're we're currently seeing. You know, we have the waves of what I call the waves of disruption. First, the music industry, the media industry, the publishing industry, and now transportation. Uh, industry and now it's insurance and banking that's right now mm-hmm. we can see that changing quickly with, with on-demand insurance or pay-per-use insurance and, and things in banking for example the whole fintech uh, and the crisis of major banks that's coming uh, and then the next step of course is healthcare, which is ridiculously expensive in, in almost all countries uh, and the pharma industry has done a very good job at essentially selling stuff that either doesn't work at all or seems to work sometimes, but everybody uses, gets it, right? <laughs> it's like, I mean, the costs have exploded. So, so now we need to switch in healthcare from, from treating the sick to preventing the sickness. Right? That, that's, uh, and that's what technology allows. We can actually monitor and we can understand and then maybe we can do something about it before it happens. Hmm. Uh, uh-huh. Or, you know, for example, with diabetes, it would be very hard to fix diabetes today using genetic engineering. It's impossible, right? But we can treat and prevent and also alert people to diabetes. That would make 90% of the hospital stays, you know, the, the sort of catastrophic incidents go away. Right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's medical. And the next one is energy to where we're essentially in 15 years, we're going to be in a position to supply the world's energy completely. You believe that? Yeah, 
by solar or by other means. Uh, and we're still going to have oil and coal, but you know, coal is already becoming less economically feasible than renewable. Uh, so, so that's, I mean, those are huge steps that require, like in the case of oil, $35 trillion worth of sunk assets from the oil industry that will have to just be eaten up somehow. You know? yeah, yeah. I would like to uh, build upon what you said for the health industry and uh, related to one of the other mega shifts, uh, transformation. Uh, you said that the mother of all transformations will be our own mega shift from being physically separate to being directly connected to computers and devices. So how would that uh, compute in uh, a health industry scenario? Yeah, I think this is, a, of course, a critical debate in the healthcare industry because the more data that we share, including our DNA, our biomes, you know, all of the information that we are, basically, uh, if we can share all of that in some way where a machine could compare and find patterns, you know, then we would find, obviously, dramatic solutions and possibilities of logic. Uh, but then the problem is, of course, considering, you know, 200 trillion genes and 300 trillion biomes, you know, this would be rather complex. And then the question of data protection, ownership, and, and security uh, will feature large. But clearly, you know, currently, we, I think we have like 2 million genomes that have been analyzed worldwide, you know, in depth. And to really make sense out of building a health cloud and understanding how people work, we need two billion. You know? mm -hmm. uh, and that's going to happen. So uh, that will change everything because we'll be finally understanding stuff. We probably won't be able to really change stuff out of the understanding anytime soon, but we'll be able to say, okay, if this and that, like what computers do best, right? Mm -hmm. uh, then to actually go in and change it, uh, that's probably going to be further away. But Healthcare will get a lot cheaper because we'll be a lot smarter about how we live. Yeah. Uh, uh, one more thing on this. I, I was really intrigued by the sentence of being physically separate from being directly connected to computers and devices. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't get that from, from the book. Can, can you explain it a little bit, please? Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that we're seeing already today is this trend towards this convergence of man and machine. Mm -hmm. So we already have cyborgs, you know, people with chips and, and implants and those kind of things. But the question is how far would we want to take this in, in return for some benefit? Um, for example, I believe that brain computer interfaces would be very beneficial for handicapped people and people who have issues controlling things, of course, but would they be good for healthy people to do really far out stuff like uh, directing robots mm -hmm. uh, and things? Yeah, I think in some cases, okay. In other ones, I would say that's probably going to be quite confusing and potentially dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think on that interface issue, I think that I wouldn't give a black or white answer. I would say that basically we need to figure out what is still good for humans and what is not. I mean, the ultimate judgment really should be whether that provides human flourishing or not uh -huh. Uh, and not whether it provides entertainment or superiority or, uh -huh. or some sort of omniscience, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I think that if we're just going for power, like a lot of omniscience is essentially about power. You know, you want to have superpower, uh -huh. you want to be better than the others, or you want to make more money, 
you know, if that's the final argument, then I would say that's probably not a good thing uh, because the motivation is is inferior. But then who's to say that, right? Who's to judge that? That's that's a difficult part. And I think in the medical field, the low-hanging fruit is really completely different. Low-hanging fruit is let's reduce the unnecessary hospital and doctor's visits by having remote diagnostics for the really simple stuff. You know, and technology can do that today. Um, that's already happening with Scanadu and with, you know, of course, Apple sooner or later. And, you know, if I can prick my finger and cough into the device and connect my wristwatch, the device says, you know what, uh, you're not in good shape, but uh, you have to work out more, but, you know, you don't have a major problem. Right? Mm-hmm. It could be potentially dangerous, of course, because it's not the same, but, but it would capture a lot of people who are doing unnecessary medical, uh, who are occurring those unnecessary medical expenses. It's a, it's a convenient way of creating awareness about your personal health. I think that's good and bad as well because mm-hmm. I use it. You know, I use the Apple Watch and I, I find it, it's quite useful. It can be used as a, as a giant excuse, uh, given that humans are primarily uh, not moving until it's really needed. <laughs> you know, we are, it could be used as a way of saying like, okay, uh, I'm monitor, monitoring this and that's the first step and it pretty much stays there, you know? Yes. Uh, and, and so that's, I think the motivation to really do something about your body and, and your food and stuff does not really come from monitoring alone. It comes from a awareness or sort of a, you know, realizing that this is important. Right? Yeah. So that's a little bit different. But. Anticipation is one of the other mega shifts. Um, and it's probably one of the most elaborated uh, uh, sections in, in this chapter of, of the book. Mm-hmm. So you start there by giving examples of uh, simple, basic uh, anticipations like calendar management. Uh, less basic is crime prevention and drug discovery. Mm-hmm. And then you imagine a, a number of uh, scenarios that could happen when the Internet of Things really rolls out globally. But the key part in this uh, section is about the ethical issues that uh, this brings. And you have listed four of them, Mm -hmm. Uh, dependency, confusion, loss of control, and abdication. Mm -hmm. Let's start with dependency. Yeah, you know, the anticipation uh, mega shift has actually been morphed into the cognification in the, in the latest edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's basically when, when, when technology allows us to anticipate or even predict things, uh, it can be quite harmless, like anticipating traffic, you know, which there's patterns for. So we, we know that at five o'clock it would be jammed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, and, but anticipating human needs... Like, I know you will like this, so click here sort of thing. Yeah. That impacts a lot of things that humans do, like serendipity, accidents, discovery, you know, this sort of natural process that we have. Uh, that's kind of disturbed by anticipation. Uh, for example, in a way, you could say that Facebook is anticipating what we want to read by the patterns of the past yeah. uh, and therefore disturbing our discovery process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's called manipulation, right? <laughs> but it, it but it would also lead us to sort of abdicate stuff that we would basically say, okay, you know, why should we do this ourselves? We we'll just let the machine decide. You know? um, I mean, it has all kinds of 
side effects that we have to keep an eye on. But the first one, what is it again, the first one? Uh, dependency. Yeah, okay, dependency. I mean, I, I put them all to the same pot because uh, basically when we use technology to take over functions that we used to do, then of course we develop dependency like Google Maps, you know, with the mm -hmm. sure. Google Maps. Right? Uh, but on the other hand, you know, when you're using Google Maps in Brussels and, and you know your way around just a little bit yourself, then many times you would question Google Maps, you know, yes. uh, or you would switch it off or you say, I, you know, that's, you know, yeah. I can go somewhere yeah. else. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know where I am now. So, right. But so, so you do learn actually, even when you use Google Maps, uh, that, to go this way is not good because the park isn't safe at night, you know, uh, and things like that, which Google Maps just doesn't know. Very often just doesn't know. Right? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a machine. It doesn't read the stuff that's not expressed, you know, <laughs> so, so it's not data. So when, when you, you get dependent, then it's okay in some instances, but when you have too much of it, like, you know, you get dependent on, a dating app because you are too lazy to figure out how to actually talk to a person, mm -hmm. you know, or you have become used to shortcutting, you know, by, by essentially matching physical uh, properties, you know, before, before you go on a date, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that sort of thing is, it's both application as well as dependency, which in the end could be a pretty dangerous mix. Mm -hmm. Um, I was having a conversation with my 13-year-old daughter on something very much related to this. So she had a sort of uh, exam on geography today. Mm -hmm. And she says, why do I have to learn all these things? Because it's all in Google Maps. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah? So it, it, it's, it's that sort of dependency you, you talk about? Yeah, I think there's a vast difference between using these tools as... Um as a background information provider or a reminder than to use them as your external brain. Yes, for example, in the case of my daughter, learning geography is learning the context of what the app later will provide you. Is that, would that be a good way of putting it? Yes, yes. I think this is the human thing that we do with information is not like we're going to go to the back of our head and retrieve a JPEG, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, that's not how we do things. You know, this yeah. is, uh, we always have context. We have questions. We have assumptions. We have feelings about certain things. I mean, this is much more complex than pulling up a JPEG or a web link, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so if you were to say that you, we're going to drop all these things because the computer gives us the language translation, mm -hmm. it gives us the, the location information, it gives us everything on demand, why should we bother? Other, then I would say, well, you know, we're going to miss 95% of what it actually means. Mm. Uh, and I would say that's not important in some circumstances. Like, you know, if I'm going to drive a car and then the machine would eventually drive me, would that be a big loss? I don't think so. You know, mm. driving a car is not a human, is not human nature or human right. right? Mm. But contextual awareness an orientation? Orientation, yeah. meaning, you know, I mean, imagine you would marry a woman from Siberia um, and you would only speak to her uh, through the Say Hi or whatever app in Russian mm -hmm. uh, and she would do the same. That relationship would be functional, but it would not be at all the same than having some sort of way to talk to each other directly, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's mediated, right? 
I like it. it uh, I, I don't know what the second part of the phrase would be. Maybe it pops up in your head, but it's what we want to do. It's or what we want to encourage is from functional to something that is more human, more contextual. That would be an interesting meme to develop. Yeah, I think that uh, we are so obsessed with functionality and optimization mm. and efficiency, you know, that we would say, okay, the woman from Siberia, I love her. And it's functional, it's efficient to talk to her through my app. And so I don't bother. Right? It's all, but it's also a total simplification. Right? Uh, and as Marshall McLuhan says, you know, any extension of man is also uh, a, uh, an amputation. Right? So we are amputating certain things of ourselves. And sometimes I think it's fine. Like I said, you know, a casual conversation with a woman from Siberia would be just fine. But if I'm going to marry her, mm -hmm. I, should, I should probably know how to talk to her myself, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, I think it's from functional to sort of, uh, you say, uh, contextual or, or you know, deeper than that, right? Mm -hmm. And what technology does, it, it, it focuses on functional and yes. quick and convenient. Yes. Yes. And like I said, it's okay many times, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But we have to realize, you know, functional would be being a musician on an iPad in a 10 hour learning curve. Oh, that's, that half, sounds like yeah. me. Yeah. yeah, you could be half a <laughs> DJ, right? Yes, uh, yes. And it's a lot of fun. It's great. Nothing yeah. wrong with it. But then you call yourself a musician, which is fine with me. I don't care. But I think that if you realize that playing music is a 10,000 hour process, yeah. you know, uh, to really get there, you can't just say that you have achieved the same in 10 hours. You know, that just isn't true because that's not how humans work. That's, that's, that's how machines work. Right? Yeah. That, that's a very nice segue into one of the last um, uh, mega shifts. Um, I hope it's still called that way, robotization. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, you, yes. Yes, you, you uh, mentioned like amputation. So it, we have talked about embodiment before, but robots are, as you said in your book, the embodiment of all these mega shifts mm -hmm. why is that well uh let's put it this way i mean uh, the robots that we've seen in the past weren't much of a threat to us in terms of their humanness or intelligence because first of all they couldn't really move well enough they didn't have the constant internet connection they were crude and now they are becoming constantly connected, they're learning from each other, right? uh, they're, f they're being fed by the cloud, they're becoming mechanically superior to us. Okay. So an 800 kilo robot can do a backflip, which I can't even do without going to hospital. Or um, can, can now skate, Le has learned to skate. Yeah, I can do all of those things, right? And, and so th this is really one of the things where we have to say, well, robots are very likely to be everywhere. Uh, and, and so this is, uh, this is something where I'm saying, okay, in 10 years, this robotization of society will not just be in factories. It'll be pretty much anywhere where a routine job with some minimal intelligence is required. You know, like, uh, I think it'll be sort of a bonus, you know, if we have a person like checking in the hotel or so. Uh, and it's interesting. It's a great example of the hotel. There are many hotels where the check-in is an app. Uh, or even a bot, like in Japan, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the better hotels still have people because that's added value. Mm -hmm. It's not efficient, definitely not. 
because mm-hmm. right? I have to wait for that person. Mm-hmm. And I find myself sometimes thinking like, yeah, <clears throat> if I can have a nice app that does this for me and I can pick my room, I can talk and I can, you know, maybe, maybe uh, massage the, uh, uh, the person into an upgrade you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and that sort of thing. You know, you can't do that with an app, but sometimes I wish I would just be an app for the checkout or so. Right. So mm-hmm. it's clear this robotization of uh, that's, that's not just going to be hardware, also robotization in the sense of software robots, mm-hmm. you know, intelligent agents. Uh, and like I said before, I think this is kind of the hell then, you know, it could be great. It could be terrible. And, and we have to measure what exactly do we want the outcome to be. Yeah, I think the bottom line of this uh, chapter is that there are a number, like 10-ish uh, mega shifts that are moving forward in at an exponential rate, but all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it's, the, it's the, the key subject of the book is that you say we must also collaborate to address ethics, cultures, culture and, and, and values. Mm-hmm. And so you wrap up this uh, chapter with making some observations about uh, becoming the purpose of our lives uh, rather than the tools to discover the purpose. Uh, I, I think that was a very nice landing in this book. And um, maybe it, it gives some, 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 some ideas or uh, sparks here to, to uh, wrap up this uh, chapter before we move into the next one. Yeah, I think that's, you know, the, the conclusion is in the end, which I didn't express in the book, I don't think, uh, to the, the very end. But mm-hmm. I think the mega shifts, because they're all happening at the same time, they're creating this huge uh, combinatory change, you know, combinatorial. So, so where everything is being combined into new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sometimes tends to be very tough for humans uh, because it's based on machine logic uh, and what machines can do. And so at the end of the chapter, I kind of point towards what I now call the rehumanization. The purpose of all that stuff is not that we have more tech. The purpose is that we have a gain and if possible, a collective gain uh, to our happiness and our fulfillment and our way of life and our, our economic troubles and our, you know, environmental issues and all of those things that we actually gain something. That is the purpose. The purpose is not in itself. Uh, and, and this is what's been getting lost in the last couple of years is because everybody's going crazy about the Internet of Things and AI, you know, as if that was something that would basically be the new, the new humanity, you know? Yeah, it means to the end. Yeah. <laughs> right, but I, I say that basically it doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters if it doesn't do anything good for most of us. And with good, I mean people, planet, purpose, prosperity. Right? Yep. Quadruple bottom line. Yeah, and that's, what, that's I think, why you, your focus for this year is to focus on the things that really matter, like what you just expressed. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it, let's, let's not uh, forget that I think prosperity and, and money matters to many people, and that's mm-hmm. also really important. You know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't just forget that, but, but it's in the context of everything else. Right? Like if you make $75,000 a year in average, most people are happy in most Western worlds in that range of 75 to 150 K. Uh, if you make 40 million a year, you're not, you know, 47 times as happy. 
Mm -hmm. right? so, yeah. so, you know, prosperity is a relative term that if you don't have it and you don't have it, then it's, it's doesn't make you happy. Right. But in general, you know, people, planet, relationships, purpose, you know, that's all part of this package. And I think technology needs to acknowledge that, that it's purpose. It's not celebrating itself. Uh, and the same goes for science. You know, the purpose of science is not to celebrate that we ju we've just cracked another huge uh, miracle, but how will it be applied to actually doing good things? Right? That's very cool. Uh, where can people find more about this? Um, well, uh, I think Megashifts, uh, megashifts.digital is the download page. Uh, megashifts.com is a small blog where you can find lots of other things around this. Um, and of course, futuristgird.com and my, my updated website. And the book itself, of course, tech versus human, tech vs human.com. And it's now available in, in 11 languages just yesterday on Italian. Wow. But what is the 11th language? I Italian, yesterday. Italian, okay. Okay. Uh, and so it's still screaming, and, and uh, Megashits will be expanded on. They are a core topic for my year as well. Um, And this is an ongoing thing. You know, when you look at mega shifts moving towards this idea of rehumanizing re what we do, uh, it ties nicely into what we discussed last week, which is the digital ethics uh, council and all that sort of stuff. So, thanks very much, Peter. Yes. Next week uh, we have uh, another chapter. It's chapter four: automating yeah. society. That's the title of the chapter. So we're going to dive into that one. Okay. We also have a newsletter, I think, Gert. Yes, uh, so Peter is at Peter Van, I think, on Twitter, right? Yes, correct. Like Van, like Van the, the V-A-N. Uh, and our newsletter is uh, digitalethics.co. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, it's free to sign up. It's a weekly newsletter. Um, yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay, thanks for listening. And uh, yes. ping us anytime with questions. And it's a pleasure to uh, have you listening to us. Thanks. Bye.